Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath day that we can worship you. We thank you for the students who are graduating, who have a desire to stand for the right though the heavens fall. And I pray that you would be with me now, give me the right words to speak over the next few minutes. <clears throat> may the message be clear, and may it inspire each one of us to stand for Christ, no matter what I pray. <clears throat> In Jesus' name, amen. The title for our sermon this morning is, Though the Heavens Fall. That is the theme that was chosen by the students of the graduating class, and I love the theme, as I said last night, and it's based on this powerful quote from the book of Education, page 57, and I'm going to read that statement again today at the outset of this message. The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. I talked a lot about a number of these things last night. We're going to focus in today on what it means to stand for the right, though the heavens fall. You know, that's not just a flippant statement that Ellen White is making, standing for the right, though the heavens fall. I believe that there are many of us here today who are facing moments in the future where we will be called upon to stand, and from a human standpoint, it will seem as if the heavens will fall if we stand to do the right thing. And now is the time of preparation to stand for the right. And as we read last night, but such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. So if we expect to stand for the right, though the heavens fall, we need the character through the grace of God that will allow us to stand when facing such a challenge. And... I believe one of the stories in Scripture that best exemplifies what it means to stand for the right, though the heavens fall, is the story in Daniel chapter 3. This was the chapter of Scripture that I thought of immediately when I thought about what messages to share this weekend. Daniel chapter 3 is, of course, the famous story of the three Hebrew boys who stand. Now, the interesting background of the story, if you look at the, the whole picture of the book of Daniel, is that Daniel 3 doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not as if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show up to the plain of Dura and in a moment's notice decide, we better not bow down. They had thought ahead of this, and they had prepared ahead of time for this crisis. This was not an accident that they stood. They were ready for this moment of crisis. And if you look at what happens, 
in Daniel chapter 1, they are among the royal seed of Jerusalem that are taken captive along with Daniel and, and many others. And they along with Daniel, those four young men, were the faithful ones who were faithful in chapter 1 when tested on the issue of diet. Or shall we say, they were faithful when it came to the area of the health message. Now, they have this major trial coming in chapter 3, but it was a serious test of their faith in chapter 1 as well, because easily they could have lost their lives by making such a simple request to have simple food rather than the king's food. And they saw the providence of God, how after 10 days of eating God's diet, compared to their friends who also knew about this diet, but decided to go along with the king's diet, after 10 days, they were found to have a better appearance in their skin and in their countenance. They had a healthier tone to their skin. God blessed their faithfulness. Interestingly, when you go to the end of chapter 1 of Daniel, not only are they found to be ten times wiser than all the wise men of Babylon, but Daniel also is given an understanding in prophecies and dreams. So they are faithful in the health message, and then Daniel is given the prophetic gift, which comes into play in Daniel chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that he can't remember, it is Daniel who is given that dream by God also, who then interprets that dream. So here you have a faithful group of God's people, a remnant, if you will, who are faithful to the health message because they love the Lord, and God then gives them an understanding of the prophetic message. And that prophetic message that is given to Nebuchadnezzar is that, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom of Babylon is going to fall. And you know what? We as God's people today have a message, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And we also have a health message. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and along with Daniel, are illustrations or witnesses to what God's last day people should be. Faithful to the health message with a special understanding of God's last day prophetic message, with a message that Babylon is fallen. Now is not the time for us as Seventh-day Adventists to be adopting the methodologies and the worship practices of the fallen Babylonian churches. We have a special message to tell the world that Jesus is coming again and to come out of Babylon, come out of her, my people. So Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will pass away and a kingdom inferior will come after you. And it was that, interestingly enough, Daniel, who in chapter 5 tells Belshazzar, you are weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So the same prophet who tells Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is going to fall, is the same prophet who tells Belshazzar, Babylon is fallen. And he was faithful throughout his life. And his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are then brought to this great test that we see 
in chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, rather than accepting the more sure word of prophecy, decided to challenge the God of heaven. Rather than an image of gold, silver, brass, iron, and iron and clay, he decides to set up an image that is all gold. Nebuchadnezzar is defying the God of heaven, saying, God, you may say that Babylon is going to fall, but Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, says, Babylon will last forever. Babylon will never fall, and all the world will bow down and worship this image which I have set up, which will prove that the world does not worship the God of heaven. It worships me and my kingdom. He is defying the prophetic vision that God has given to him to let him understand these are the kingdoms of this world that will come and then the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And yet Nebuchadnezzar as the king of Babylon tries to intimidate those who are the followers of the true God into thinking that you better worship me and my kingdom and my image because all of the world is doing it anyway so you better fall into line. And so here we see in this story of Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score or 60 cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, this is a pretty tall image. This was not built overnight. So when this image starts to go up, obviously this became the talk of the town. It's not like people woke up one morning and said, hey, there's this tall golden statue out in the plain of Dura. I wonder what this is happening for. Everybody knew why that image was going up. And everybody had an opportunity to think about what was going to happen when everyone congregated together at this major meeting that Nebuchadnezzar was calling for. And in fact, when you see verse 2, it says, He sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar is calling for the leaders from throughout his kingdom. So there is time for people to think about what is going to happen at the dedication of this image. It's not as if people who showed up to this dedication ceremony were caught off guard by the request to bow down and worship the image. And if they were caught off guard, they should not have been. They should have had time to think about and prepare for it. When we see who is there, we see the political leaders, the military leaders, the judicial leaders, the financial leaders, the educators, the local law enforcement officers, and the rulers of the provinces, so the local political leaders. All of the leaders of the kingdom were brought together to this dedication ceremony. This was not just a minor occasion. This was a major event. And if you're God's people, 
you have to be paying attention to what is happening. We see multiple times throughout Daniel chapter 3 where it says this is the image which the king had set up. And if you're paying attention with a prophetic eye, with prophetic illustration, you will see many similarities to Revelation 13 and the image to the beast that will be set up. The image that is set up will not happen overnight, but will happen in such a way that God's people will see it coming and will have an opportunity to make a decision about what they are going to do when faced with the greatest decision and the biggest crisis of our lives. What are we going to do in that moment? This is what God's people had back then as they saw this image being set up. And as the message goes out to all the provinces throughout the kingdom, everybody has an understanding of what is coming. So finally, the great day comes, if you want to call it a great day, but the big day. And we get to verse 4, and we see that everyone is gathered together, and a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. Now that's bad enough. Bow down and worship. But verse 6 says, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of of a burning, fiery furnace. So here you are, you're brought to this worship service. Now, if you are a follower of the king and you've come from the ends of his kingdom to this great dedication service, when you hear this command to bow down and worship when all kinds of music begin to be played, it's not going to be much of a thought for you to think, okay, I'm going to bow down. You are a Babylonian. This is what the Babylonians are asking you to do. So as a Babylonian, you're going to bow down and worship this image. But they are not the only ones there. There are God's people in this audience as well. And the threat is clearly there. If you do not bow down and worship this image, you will be thrown into that burning, fiery furnace that's right over there. See that fire? That's what's waiting for you if you don't bow down and worship this image. And here we see a contrast between the true worship of the true God who we worship out of, from motivation of love versus worship of a false God who tries to get worship through coercion. Interestingly, at this service, one of the things that will motivate people to bow down in worship in verse 5, it says all kinds of music. Now listen, friends. There is a right way to worship God and a wrong way to worship God. And there is heavenly music and there's Babylonian music. And Babylonian music likes to draw from all kinds of music to play upon people's emotions and, <coughs> excuse me, and lower nature to cause people to fall into line into a worship, into a false worship, into bowing down to the Babylonian way of thinking. And friends, that kind of music has no place in God's remnant church. God is looking for people who will be faithful to the worship of the true God. Now, seemingly in verse 7, everybody bows down. Verse 7. 
Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So if you read verse 7, you are thinking everybody bowed down. It's like Revelation chapter 13 where it says, all the world wondered after the beast. And it seems as if Babylon has gained control over the whole world. And in this story, it seems that everyone, including God's professed people, have bowed down to worship this image. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. And then they go on to say, Isn't it true that you said that when the music plays, everyone's supposed to bow down? Then they said in verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now notice this. They didn't say all the Jews stood up. All of God's professed people stood true. They said there are certain Jews. That means there were other Jews who bowed down and worshipped the image. They were bowing down because they didn't want to be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Now listen, it's easy for us here in 2016 to say, what was wrong with those Jews? How could they defy the true and living God? Don't they remember the Ten Commandments which says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Why are they bowing down and worshiping this image? Well, it's actually not too hard to figure out. Because we see this mentality in the world today. This was the culturally sensitive thing to do, right? If we don't bow down, we're going to offend the Babylonians. If we don't bow down, we're going to lose all of our influence with them. We've been working hard to gain their confidence. And if we don't bow down at this service, they're not going to like us anymore. And we won't be able to preach our sermons anymore and witness and give Bible studies to them anymore. And then we will have lost all of the gains that we have made with them so far during the time of our captivity. Surely God would understand if we're not so strict about his law. Have you ever heard that kind of thinking before? This would be the gracious, loving, practical, expedient, and wise thing to do. But you know what we call this? We call it compromise. And there's this mentality that says, well, I don't really believe in this image, but I'm just going to bow down, and as soon as this is over, I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And he'll forgive me. This was not good. Oh, I didn't want to do that. But man, I can't be thrown into the fiery furnace. But you know, there were three young men that day who had a different mentality. 
they were not thinking about self-preservation. They were thinking about the honor of God's name. And they were thinking about being faithful to the law of God. And they knew that one of the reasons why they as Jews were captives in the land of Babylon was because their forefathers had worshipped idols and had bowed down to images and had been unfaithful to the true and living God. And so now here they are in the land of Babylon and they are faced with this great moment, this great crisis, where if they bow down, they will be unfaithful to God. But if they don't bow down, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace and they make a decision very clearly, very distinctly to stand for the true and living God. You know, it's interesting when we come to the end of earth's history, to the final crisis, not all who profess to be Seventh-day Adventists will stand true. Great Controversy, page 608 says, as the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy popular side. Friends, let me tell you something. If you're making it a habit to choose the easy popular side now, you're going to choose the easy popular side when the final test comes. When you're compromising now over things that are clearly revealed in inspiration, don't think you're going to stand for God when the final test comes. If you're not allowing God to sanctify you through obedience to the truth, if you're living an unsanctified, unconverted life now, you will not stand when the final test comes. Jesus is looking for those who will defend the honor of his name. She goes on to say, Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. You know, if, if we were going to make an application back to this story, the worst enemies of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been the Jews who bowed down. You know, I think of some stories in my past where I remember one time my older brother, and he won't hear the story, but he had to do a traffic class for speeding, and that class happened to be on Sabbath. And he said, I can't do this because it's on Sabbath. And the people at the traffic class said, oh, we've had other Seventh-day Adventists who have come on Sabbath. Why can't you? Come on, we gotta, we've got to be better than that, friends. When you as a Seventh-day Adventist compromise, you're making it harder for your brother or sister who stands to stand for what is true. And so here these Chaldeans say, there are certain Jews 
whom you have set over the affairs of the kingdom, who have not bowed down. And friends, I have to say today, I hope and I pray that when the final test comes and the, the authorities come to those who are in charge and say, there are certain Seventh-day Adventists who will not go along with this false system of worship that we have set up, that I and that you will be the ones that are standing true for Jesus at that time. Because not everyone is going to stand. And maybe not even the majority. But God will have a faithful remnant who will stand and who will be true to Jesus. And it will be very clear, there are certain Seventh-day Adventists who will not bow down to this false day of worship. And we see in verses 13 through 15, Nebuchadnezzar is angry, but he tries to use flattery with coercion to get these men to bow down because he likes these men. They are leaders in his kingdom. They are ten times wiser. He wants to keep them if he can, but not if they will keep disrespecting him. He says, please bow down, and if you do, that's going to be great. But if not, if you do not bow down, if you do not worship, you will be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. This is the end of verse 15. And notice the challenge that he throws to the God of heaven. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? I am the king of Babylon. I am the leader of the world. There is no God in the universe that can deliver you out of my hand. And I'm afraid there are many Seventh-day Adventists today if faced with such a challenge would say, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just bow down this one time, but I'm not going to do it again, just once. But notice what these three men say. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, when they say we are not careful to answer you in this matter, it's King James' language to say, listen, King, we are going to shoot straight with you. We're not going to give you a politically correct answer here. We are going to just tell it to you like it is. And when we say what we're going to say to you, you will understand very clearly what we mean and why we mean what we say. And we need some more plain-speaking Adventists and who in the love of Christ, we talked about this last night, who will clearly speak up in defense of the truth and who will not be ashamed to stand for what is right. And notice what they say, verse 17. You said that our God can't deliver us, but here's what they say. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now notice the courage that is happening here. They are speaking to the king in front of the assembled political, military, judicial, financial, and other leaders throughout the kingdom. And they are standing in front of everyone and they are answering with determination and with firmness and with boldness and with faith. And they're saying, you said our God can't deliver us. If he chooses to, he can deliver us. And he will. But notice verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, 
nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And this is such a perfect demonstration of the theme for this weekend. But if not, if I lose my life, if I'm burned up in that fiery furnace, if my life on this earth comes to an end right now, I am not going to be unfaithful to the God whom I serve. I will not bow down and worship your image. I will not worship this false God. I will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And if God doesn't deliver me, so be it. I am going to be faithful unto him. They weren't asking questions to God like, you know, God, can't I just bow down this once? Because is this really a salvational issue? Are you going to keep me out of heaven if I bow down? You'll forgive me, won't you? Don't you understand? I mean, this is awkward. I mean, do you want me to be awkward in front of all these people? This is, uh, you know, come on, just, just let me bow down this once, and then I'll go on faithfully serving you after that. That is not the mentality. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but if not, we will not worship your image. We will not serve your gods. Friends, what are you like on a day-to-day basis? Maybe it's how you handle money or how the way you do your work in your class, whatever it may be. Are you cutting corners, fudging the truth a little bit here and there to get by? Nobody will ever notice. It's okay. Nobody will pay attention. I'm fudging a little bit here. Nobody knows. I'm living pretty much a good moral life, but I'm going to just cheat a little bit here and there. Nobody will ever know. Friends, that is not being faithful unto death. And if you expect to have moral resolve through the grace of Christ at the end. Now is the testing time to be faithful in the great final test. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they saw that image being set up, and they knew when they came to that ceremony that they would be called upon to take a stand for Christ, though the heavens fall. They knew that. And they had made up their minds ahead of time that even if they were threatened with being thrown into the burning, fiery furnace, that they were going to stand for God, even if it meant losing their lives. And because of their faithfulness, we're still talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego today. And you know what? We don't know a single name of any other Hebrew captive that came with Daniel and his three friends, the Babylon, because those men were not faithful to God. And when you get to the end of the book of Daniel, it says, They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You're not going to shine as the brightness of the firmament. You're not going to turn many to righteousness if you are being an unfaithful witness and compromising in in your life right now. These three men were faithful even though the heavens fell, and then we, if the heavens were to fall, and they face this fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar becomes infuriated by their answer, he commands them to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and we have this beautiful promise in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. 
When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. This was a promise that was fulfilled for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Interestingly, when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, in the faith chapter, it speaks of these heroes of faith who, it says, quenched the violence of fire. And in the previous verse, speaking of Daniel being thrown into the lions, then they stopped the mouths of lions. These are heroes of faith who were thrown into a fiery furnace and through their faith quenched the violence of fire. Do you have that kind of faith today? If you were placed in the same circumstance, in the same setting, would you stand as firmly for God as those three Hebrews did? Interestingly, as they're thrown into the fiery furnace, we see in Scripture Nebuchadnezzar says the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Ellen White answers this question. How, this is Prophets and Kings 5.09. How did that heathen king know what the Son of God was like? The Hebrew captives filling positions of trust in Babylon had in life and character represented before him the truth. When asked for a reason of their faith, they had given it without hesitation. Plainly and simply they had presented the principles of righteousness, thus teaching those around them of the God whom they worshipped. They had told of Christ the Redeemer to come, and in the form of the fourth, in the midst of the fire, the king recognized the Son of God. How about you today? Are you living a life that if you were placed in the same circumstance, in the same situation, that you would represent the Son of God in such a way that if He were to appear in bodily form, that the people that have been connected with you, with you would say, that is the Son of God because He looks like the people that speak about Him. Friends, we are facing a crisis at the end of the world when all the world will follow after Babylon. And as Protestant America sets an, up an image to the first beast of Revelation 13, the Roman papal church state, and as all the world wonders after the beast, Seventh-day Adventists are going to be called upon to take a clear stand as to whose side we are on. And the question will be, are we on the Lord's side? Will we follow God? And will we be seeking the honor and the glory of His name and of His law and of His character? Or will we be like many of those other Jews who compromised and who bowed down? And in our case, if that were to be the case, we would receive the mark of the beast. A few statements. Manuscript releases, volume 12, pages 318 and 319. When religion is mixed with civil government, it means much to Seventh-day Adventists. A union of church and state means a recognition of a spurious Sabbath and a failure to recognize the conscientious observance of the Sabbath of the Fourth Commandment. This movement demanding that all observe a sacred and idle Sabbath resembles the act of Nebuchadnezzar in making a golden image and setting it up for all to worship. The manuscript... Release volume 14, page 91. An idle Sabbath has been set up as the, as the golden image was set up in the plains of Dura. And as Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, issued a decree that all who would not bow down and worship this image should be killed, so a proclamation will be made that all who will not reverence the Sunday institution will be punished with imprisonment and death. What are you going to do when your life is on the line for you, your faith? You're going to choose the easy popular side because if you're doing that now, you'll do it then. 
God is looking for faithful Seventh-day Adventists who will be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Education, page 57, going back to our quote for this week and reading a little bit sooner. What a life work was that of these noble Hebrews. As they bade farewell to their childhood home, how little did they dream of their high destiny. Faithful and steadfast, they yielded themselves to the divine guiding so that through them God could fulfill his purpose. Students of Wildwood who are graduating this weekend, do you realize what a high destiny God has designed for each one of you? You didn't come to this school by accident. God brought you here to be his faithful heroes like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at the end of the world. Those who will be faithful Seventh-day Adventists, who will not be embarrassed by our theological message, who will not be embarrassed by our health message, who will not be embarrassed by our standards, but will say, our God whom we serve will be faithful to us and will deliver us from Babylon at the end of the world, and we will be his faithful witnesses. Friends, you have come here to this institution, to the school, to learn about God, and as you learn about God, just as the faithful Hebrews were concerned about the honor of God's name, we are concerned about the honor of God's name. We're not asking questions like, well, is this a salvational issue if I do this or if I do that? We are asking, will this bring honor to God's name if I choose this way or if I choose that way? What will bring honor and glory to the name of God? And God's faithful followers at the end of the world will be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who will stand for the honor of God's name. And just as the three Hebrews reached such a high destiny along with Daniel, we can reach that high destiny as well if we are faithful to the true and living God. The same mighty truths that were revealed through these men, God desires to reveal through the youth and the children of today. The history of Joseph and Daniel is an illustration of what he will do for those who yield themselves to him and with a whole heart seek to accomplish his purpose. And now we get to the famous part. The greatest one of the world is the one of men. Men who will not be bought or sold, or in other words, who will just bow down when everyone bows down. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Who when they see idol worship in the church will say, this is idol worship. When they see adultery in the church, they will say, this is adultery. This isn't compassion. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pull. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. And friends, I hope and pray that as you go out from Wildwood to the ends of the earth, that you will stand for the right though the heavens fall. But such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. Friends, we have a high calling. We have a high destiny as Seventh-day Adventists. At the end of the world, God will have a special group of people, a remnant, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And God wants each one of us here today to be among that special group of people. We were not brought into existence by accident. We didn't come here to Wildwood by accident. We are part of a special movement raised up by God to finish His work here on this earth. And by the grace of God, may it be said of us that we will stand for the right 
though the heavens fall. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are leading us. And I thank you for how you have led the students in this school through the past six months or the past year or the past few years. Lord, I pray that the time spent here will prepare each student and all of us who are here to stand for the right that the heavens fall. As we see the storm approaching on this world, may we not be among that large class of Seventh-day Adventists who have professed faith in the third angel's message but abandon the ranks and join the opposition. May we be those who remain faithful unto the death so that you may give us a crown of life. Thank you that you love us and may we love you in return and may we follow you and serve you faithfully every day I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.